Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Oh, sing and run, huh? What? Man. Anyway, there's a, uh, there's a gentleman who was in San Francisco who was just kind of walking around through the city and he pops into an antique store. He's not looking for anything in particular, but there's a thing that catches his eye as he walks through it. As he goes through the store, he sees this little brass statue that he thinks it looks pretty cool. So he goes over and looks at it, and it's kind of like a, it's a brass, well, it's really a brass rat. But for those of you who are Mickey Mouse fans, it's kind of reminded him of kind of a Mickey Mouse type of thing. But it was this brass rat, and he goes over to the storekeeper, and he asks him, well, how much is this, you know, statue right here? And he goes, well, the statue's $100. He goes, well, $100, that's not too bad. He goes, yeah, but if you want to know the story behind the statue, that's another $1,000. He goes, well, $1,000 for a story. You know, $100 isn't too bad. He goes, you know what, I don't really care about the story. I'll just take the statue. So he pays $100, buys a statue. No sooner as he walks out the front door, immediately from the alleyway where the store is, about six rats start to follow him. He starts to walk through the city, and everywhere that he goes, rats start to follow him. I mean, literally thousands of rats are following this guy all through the city of San Francisco to the point where there's not only just thousands, there's hundreds of thousands, almost to the point where there's millions of rats that have now been attracted all throughout the city and are following this guy outside the city. So he goes to leave the city and he's going across the Golden Gate Bridge and as he goes across the bridge, he realizes there's millions of rats that are following him outside the city. And the weight of the rats is so great that the span of the bridge begins to collapse and the man starts to panic. And then he realizes what's going on and he takes that brass rat and he throws it out into the bay. And sure enough, all millions of these rats jump off the bridge and subsequently drown in the bay. Well, the guy immediately heads back to the store where he bought this brass statue. And he goes walking in and the storekeeper's not surprised to see him at all. He says, so hey, I bet you want to pay for that story now. He goes, no, actually, I still don't really care much about the story. He says, well, what are you doing here? He goes, well, I was just kind of wondering, do you have any brass lawyers? <laughs> I've been saving that one for Larry, but, but you know, you ask, you ask a question. You've you got to ask the question. That is, what's, what's the point, besides the obvious? Um, the, the point is this. If lawyers cared about what people thought of them, there would be no lawyers, right? I mean, think about this. Now, I don't know if you've come to a similar conclusion, but I have come to the conclusion that, you know what? I, you can't really worry about what other people think. I mean, you can, but it'll, re, it'll remove all the joy out of your life. If you're worried about what other people think of you, I guarantee you, you won't have much joy in your life. You know, and I, I, I don't know if you've come to that conclusion, but I have, and I, because I think that where I've come to it is that there's no way you can stand in public and speak week after week, like Larry said, year after year, and be overly concerned with what people think of you. I mean, you just can't, you can't do that. And, and the reason for it is, is that when you get a, a group of people as diverse as, as the people that come here from all the different backgrounds that are represented and all the different uh, opinions and ideas, I mean, you could go nuts trying to please people. You know, I talked to some of you. Some of you like book studies. Some of you like word studies. Some of you like not to study at all. Uh, some of you like uh, topical sessions, and some like, you know, to get into, you know, the, the root words, what was behind the original Hebrew and the Greek, when the, what was the cultural context, and, you know, people like to get into some of that stuff. Some people like stories and jokes, and other people are rigid and don't like that kind of thing. And uh, some like New Testament, Old Testament, I mean, you know, it, we, we go on and on and on and on, and then it doesn't even stop there, then it comes, becomes a personal thing. Some of you like my hair short, and some of you like it a little longer. Some of you like, don't like facial hair, and some of you like, you know, the mustache. When I grew a goatee, some of you thought that, you know, I became the Antichrist. And, uh, and, and, and you know, it just kind of goes on like that. Some like coats and ties and can't believe that a guy would stand and teach in just a casual-looking outfit like I have on today, I may add. And, uh, you know, so you just kind of go through all this. And some of you like to listen and learn. And like Larry said, you know, some of you, you know, don't like to listen and don't like to learn. And you're pretty set in your opinions. And, and some of you are here voluntarily and some of you aren't. <laughs> so, you know, there's just a nice mix of people here. And if you started to try to worry about what other people think, it could just drive you nuts. 
And I don't know if you found that true in your own life, but if you're worried about what everybody thinks about you, I'll guarantee you you're not having much joy in your life. Uh, sometimes it's kind of funny. Sometimes it gets to the point where it's actually kind of very humorous in a way what other people think that you should be or what you should not be or what you should do or not do. Give you an illustration. When we used to travel with the Rams, there was two places that we went. One was Atlanta and the other was Tampa. And right next to where we would stay, the hotel that we'd stay at, we were within walking distance of a restaurant, a restaurant chain called Hooters. Okay? And if you don't know anything about Hooters, they're famous for their... Um, Chicken wings and crab legs. <laughs> so anyway, because they were within walking distance of our hotel, we would like to go because the guys like chicken wings. It was kind of a sports atmosphere, chicken wings and crab legs. And so we, we kind of went there. Now you guys are giggling now. Just let me finish. So we would go there. And, 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 uh, you know, and I, tell, I tell my wife, man, this place has great chicken wings, blah, blah, blah. Well, as, as, uh, that's exactly what I told her. Now, I don't know what in the world's going on here. But anyway, so as, as, as fate would have it, they open a Hooters in Newport Beach. So I say, hey, let's go and get some wings. So I take my wife and our children and my partners and his wife and his kids, and we all go down for lunch one day, and we all go to Hooters. So we're sitting in the Hooters, and we're having some wings, and we're having a great time. And in comes this young man. He walks in, and uh, I know him. And he and another buddy come in and they sit over off the table and they order a couple beers and they look over and they see us and they get that shock look on their face. And uh, so he comes over and we visit for a while and we, we change, exchange some pleasantries, conversation, whatever. And, and uh, he needs air conditioning in his house. So he, we talk about that. So anyway, I go over and I go to meet him at his house. So I, I, I go through and I give him a price to put air conditioning in his house. And he's an English fellow. And, he, and he, in the course of our conversation, he goes, Chuck, I was really shocked to see you at Hooters the other day. I said, what? He goes, yeah, I couldn't believe I saw you at Hooters the other day. And I said, well, why is that? He goes, well, you're like, like a preacher or something. Because he's come here and visited a few times, right? So he's not sure what I am like you aren't sure what I am. And, and like, I'm not sure what I am. So we're all in the same boat there. But I said, now, what do you mean you're shocked to see me at Hooters? Now, why, why do you think that? He goes, well, 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 I said, well, what did you see me doing? I said, now, was I drinking? Well, no. Was I flirting with the waitresses? No. What was I doing? Well, you were having lunch with your wife and your family. And? Well, it looked like you were having a good time. <laughs> well, isn't that something ironic? I said, now what's wrong with me having a good time? His perception was that somehow or another, I couldn't have a good time. Or that I shouldn't have been there. It was okay for him to be there, but it wasn't okay for us to be there. And it was kind of interesting having this conversation with him because the bottom line of all of it was, is that he had a perception of what I could and could not do. But what was more important than that was an underlying idea that as a Christian you can't have any fun and that bothered me a lot because the reason he's come up with that idea is because most Christians don't have any fun most of us are walking around like we got eternal wedgies I think about that this week, and, and it shows on your face. You know, you're walking around like, <laughs> I get it, but it would just go right back. And, and, it, and it concerns me because there are a whole bunch of people in the world we live in that are having all kind of fun. But they see you and they see me, and it doesn't look like we're freed up very much. It looks like we're kind of bound up a little bit. And they're like, I don't want to walk around like that. I don't want to be like that. Give you an illustration. I've got three neighbors. These guys are probably early 50s, somewhere around there. Three guys. One's right across the street. One's, well, one, one's kind of this way. One's this down and, and the next to him. So it's kind of like right across the street. These guys go out and they buy Harley Davidson motorcycles. All three of them. Bang, 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 bang. So now the pressure's on. So every time I see them outside, they go, hey, when are you going to get yourself a Harley? Now, the thing is, it's interesting about it, is they're having a whole bunch of fun. Now, as far as I know, to the best of my knowledge, none of them are Christians. 
None of them claim to be, and none of them live like they are. But they're having a good time riding Harley-Davidson motorcycles. So they're asking me when I'm going to get Harley-Davidson motorcycles. So, you know, we kind of kid around about it. And, um, and the answer is, not until my wife lets me. <laughs> but <laughs> Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't care about what anybody thinks. <laughs> There are some people who really, you know, you really want to, you know, care about what they have to say. But, but the point of all of it is um, they're having a good time. And uh, I guess what, I, what I'm trying to get to is that, you know, we need to get back to some basics here. We need to just get back to the point where we understand that it's okay to have a good time, that it's okay to enjoy life, that it's okay to, you know, remove the wedgie, and it's okay to enjoy the life that God has given us. It's all right. You can smile. You can loosen up. You can experience the joy that God wants us to experience. And, you know, and I think it's important because, you know, some of us need to stop worrying so much about what other people think of us and stop worrying about what other people expect of us and, and get to a point where we're not always trying to fix something that we think is broken. And we need to just step back a little bit and relax. You know, some of us need to be freed up. And, you know, and I think that if we went back to see Jesus and his disciples and they would go across the lake and they'd kick back and have a little R&R, &R, you know, one thing that I'm sure, I, you know, I don't know what they did for fun. You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure they swam and I'm sure they hiked and I'm sure they told some stories about the town that they just left and some of the people that they just met. Uh, and I don't know if they sat around a campfire having hot dogs and beans. Um, if they had hot dogs, I'm sure they were kosher dogs. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know what they did. But I'll tell you what I believe that, that they did. I believe that they enjoyed one another's company. And I believe that they smiled a lot and they laughed a lot. And they had a good time being together. And, and, I, and, I, and I guess what I'm trying to get across is, is that if you're worrying about what other people think of you, you're not going to have a very good time. You're not going to enjoy life very much. You know, I mentioned that uh, God created us to enjoy the, the pleasures and also the responsibilities. Now, uh, there's always some of you are sitting out there and you want to argue. And you're already sitting there arguing with me in your mind. Well, you know what? Now, he's advocating an irresponsible lifestyle. No, I'm not. I'm not saying that at all. I believe that with the freedom of choosing to enjoy life, there's also the freedom of making wrong choices as well. And there's consequences for those wrong decisions. So I'm not advocating irresponsibility, and I'm not saying this is a license to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. All that I'm saying to you is, is that it's okay to enjoy life as well. You know, God created us with a mind that we could think about Him, that we can think about what He has to say, that we can choose to accept Him or reject Him. He's given us a heart and emotions that we can choose to love Him or not love Him, to turn toward Him or to turn away from Him. You know, he, he's given us a, a free will that we can obey him or not obey him. And I, and I like that plan that he had because basically, you know, if you stop and think about it, God could have made every one of us just to do what he wanted us to do when he wanted us to do it. But he didn't do that. He chose to give us freedom to choose. Now, unfortunately, there's a downside to that. And the downside is you can choose to do the wrong thing. You can choose to go the wrong direction. The Bible says all of us are like sheep and we've gone astray. That God said, I want, I'd like you to go this way. And we said, we don't want to go that way. We want to go our own way. We want to do our own thing. And as a result, when we make these wrong choices and when we make these wrong choices long enough, what happens is that we end up suffering the consequences of those decisions. But we still have the freedom to choose to do that. And what I'm trying to get across, and I hope that you begin to understand, is that when you, when you have the freedom to choose right and the freedom to choose wrong, when you choose wrong, there's consequences to that. And the more that you choose wrong, the greater those consequences will be. And a person who continually chooses to do wrong are people that really end up uh, what I would call addicts. They are addicted to doing the wrong thing. And if you've ever seen a person who is addicted to some type of behavior, you'll realize that, you know what, there's no freedom in that at all. We need to understand a couple of things. If you've got your Bibles, look at Luke chapter 4 quickly because I want you to see and to understand something. 
God has given us the freedom to choose, and when we choose to do the wrong thing, we begin to suffer the consequences of it. Now, what's interesting to me is that God doesn't say, hey, you know what? You're making the wrong decision. You're on your own. Too bad for you. But what he does do is he provides a remedy or relief for it. And in John 4, look at verses 16 through 21. This was God's purpose in sending Jesus Christ to this planet. He says, And he came to Nazareth, which he had been brought, where he had been brought up, and was, as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the, the place where it was written. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are downtrodden and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I like that. Because Jesus, as was his custom, had said he walked up to the synagogue and he was going to read, but he specifically opened the scroll to a specific sp a spot that he wanted to read for a specific purpose. And he said that, you know, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and God has sent me, his only begotten Son, into the world so that whoever would believe in me would be what? Would be free from the addiction or the entanglement of sin. Be free from the, the, the no choice, in a lot of ways, to choose to do the wrong thing. He's saying, I've come to set the captives free. And they marveled at what he was saying. He was saying, I've come that I can open the eyes of those who are blind to spiritual things so that they can now see spiritual things. I've come to give life not only to those who are dead physically, which he raised many people from the dead, but from the dead physically, but also more importantly from the dead spiritually. I've come that you might have life, Jesus said, and that you might have it more abundantly. Later on in John chapter 8, he goes on and says that the truth is what will set us free. And that if the Son frees us up, we will be free indeed. So as we look at this and understand what he's trying to do, God is saying, yeah, I've given you the freedom to make choices and you chose to do the wrong thing. And as a result of that, now you are entangled in your behavior and you are dying or dead in your sin. But I've come to set you free from that. You no longer have to make wrong decisions. Any wrong decision that you make is because you want to make that wrong decision. And there's a huge difference between the two. For a person who has never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they don't have a choice whether they think they do or not. They are dead in their sins. They're dead in their transgressions, the Bible says. They're on their way to hell unless somehow or another they put their faith and trust in Christ. They are dead and they're dying and they're continuing that process. But as Jesus said, I've come to set you free. And the only thing you have to do is just believe that and put your faith and trust in me. For as many as received him, became the power to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So that's as simple as it is, and that message is so complicating, co complicated as we've seen throughout the series because people want to work their way into God's favor, and God says, you can't do it. I've taken care of it for you. Now would you just believe me? And it's a matter of trusting God. So he says that I'm going to set you free. Well, the, the problem with all of that is, is that there are many of us who aren't free. We're still not free. And I don't know why that is to a large degree because some of us have chosen to continue to do the things that are wrong and that have, have captured us. Now that's all glittering generalities up to this point, but let me talk to you about the number one addiction that, that most people face in this life. And in fact, I would be so bold as to say that I have never met a person yet who's not addicted to this in some form or another. And you know what that addiction is? The addiction of worry. The addiction of worry. And here's, and here's how subtle this addiction is. You talk to someone and say, you know what? You really shouldn't worry about that. And here's what they'll say. Well, you know, I know I shouldn't really worry about it. But you know me. I'm just a worrying kind of guy. I just can't help myself. I just kind of worry about that. And you go, well, yeah, you know what? There's things I worry about too, so I guess it can't really be too hard on you because you worry about stuff that's different than what I worry about, but I do worry about some things, and I'm, I'm a worrier, and, and I know you are too. 
And we sit there and we kind of write it off and say, well, it's okay, you know, we all worry. Now here's the problem with worry. Worry doesn't free you up, but worry actually binds you up kind of like a wedgie. Worry is a spiritual wedgie, all right? And what you need to understand about this is, you say, but, but, but what, that's, worry's not that big a deal. Everybody worries. Now, let me throw it out in another context and see if you can understand it better. What if I said to you, hey, you know what? Don't worry about that. You say, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to get a couple of stiff drinks. Because you know me, man. When something's bothering me, I just like to drink a lot. So I'm just going to go get hammered. And I won't worry about it, but that's how I'm going to handle the worry. And you sit there and go, yeah, you know what? When things are bothering me, I like to go get hammered too. So why don't we all just go get hammered together? You can get drunk and I'll get drunk. And we'll all get drunk together. And hey, that's just the way I handle things going on in my life. And that's okay. Or I'm going to go do some coke. Or I'm going to do something else. See, then all of a sudden you go, well, wait a minute now. Now, that's not good, getting hammered to, to try to resolve a problem. Now, that's not good. And doing drugs to try to resolve a problem. Now, that's not good. But somehow or another, we've bought into the fact that but it's okay to worry about it because you worry and I worry. Well, what if you were a drunk and I was a drunk? Or you did drugs or I did drugs. Is that okay now? Then we'd worry. Then we'd but you see what the problem is, how deceptive this and subtle this is? Because most of us worry for good reasons. Just ask the person worrying. I'm preparing to do this. And you know what I'm, I'm thinking? I'm worrying about the people that are going to be gone for the long weekend that are going to miss the topic on worry. <laughs> and it's like God's going, now we got a problem here. But hopefully we're going to be able to deal with it. You see, it's, it's so subtle that you don't even realize how wrong it really is. See, the, the, the word worry means to strangle or to choke out. Jesus used this word in Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower and the seed. And this is what he said. You read it on your own. He said, but when the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches enter the scene it strangles the word of God and it prohibits us from becoming fruitful in our life when the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of riches come along and strangle the word or choke it so that there's no productivity that's where we have a problem so the point of all of it is is that hey you know what worry is not an optional thing if you're prone to worry, then you've got a problem because worry will not free you to enjoy life. Worry will do exactly the opposite. So what we've got to look at is that worry is a paralysis. Now, you know, I, I never realized that, you know, some of us don't want to admit we're worrying type of people, but many of us are. And I never realized really how bad it was in my life where I would be worrying about or distracted by all types of different things. And, and I can remember as far back as even before Linda and I were married, when we got married, worrying about being married, worrying about being young, worrying about having a daughter, worrying about working my way through college, worrying about the, you know, to, how do you pay for it and how do you go to school and, you know, even after you're out, are you going to find a job and on and on and on and on. Man, I mean, just there's a million things in life that come along that you begin to worry about. And after I became a Christian, it, it, it didn't automatically go away. Then it took on a higher, more spiritual level, but it was still worry nonetheless when you finally digested it all. And I started to go through and began to realize in this particular section that we're going to look at, but you know what, that there's joy in, in living worry-free. And in Philippians chapter 4, if you've got your Bibles, turn there because it was in this section when I first became a Christian that we were doing a Bible study and looking at this particular passage, and it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And I remember specifically memorizing Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And in this study, in memorizing what God has to say, it changed my life from that day forward. Now, am I ever tempted to worry again? Absolutely. But there's also a game plan that God has given us here in this particular passage that if you follow it, I will guarantee you, listen to me now, I will guarantee you, if you follow what we're about to study 
and you apply it to your life, you will live a joyful, worry-free existence. I'm very, in very few instances am I as dogmatic as that. But I am absolutely convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you follow what we're about to study, that you will enjoy life like you haven't enjoyed it in a long time. There's joy in living worry-free. And, 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 and you know, we'll refund your money. <laughs> Look what it says. Verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I'll say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to men, the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any, any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. There's three words that jump out as we go through this, and, and what I want to share with you are these three. Three words. Three principles to apply. Same over and over again as you look at these. Rejoice, relax, and rest. And really what it boils down to is this. Memorize this thought. Worry about nothing and pray about everything. Worry about nothing and pray about everything. Right now, I know that some of you are worrying about something. It could be your health. It could be your marriage. It could be your business. It could be your children. It could be, and the, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. I know that, and God knows that. And what he wants you to do right now is make a mental note and take that from the section that says, I will worry about this to I will no longer worry about it, but I will pray about it. Take it off your worry list. Some of you call it your to-do list. Whatever you call it, if you're distracted by it and you're sitting here and you can't even focus or concentrate on what's being said because it's gnawing at you and it's eating at you and you're distracted by it, then what God is saying to you is take it off your worry list. Worry about nothing and pray about everything. Take it off of your worry list and put it on your prayer list. We need to do that. And as we do that, what we'll begin to see is that there's a formula. If you want a formula, it boils down to this. Number one, and by the way, it is not an option. It's no more an option to stop worrying than it is an option not to be a drunk. Than it is an option not to be a drug addict. Than it is an option not to be a kleptomaniac. It is no more an option to worry than it is on any other of those behaviors. God is saying, be anxious for nothing. That is a command from God. Period. Number one, he says rejoice. Look at he says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice. You know, we've said this so many times throughout the series that I think it's losing a little bit of its meaning. But it comes a point in time where we have to stop complaining and being critical of everything that's going on in our life, and we need to start rejoicing in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. We need to get back to thanking God and praising God. And when you hear a couple say, hey, you know what? And I've traveled all over the world, my wife and I, and I know what they're saying. There is no greater country as far as freedom is concerned than the freedoms that we enjoy in the United States of America. It's the greatest country on earth. Love it or leave it. The bottom line, though, is that we have choices in this country, and we have freedoms in this country. And that means that there are people that are going to be free to disagree with you. There are going to be people who are free to disagree with your opinions and your political uh, ambitions and, and, and your political viewpoint of life and even your religious viewpoint on life. But let me tell you something. We all need to have the freedom to express that. And I'm not worried about somebody expressing their religious freedoms that are different than mine because I believe this with all of my heart. 
that the truth sets people free. People can express whatever it is that they believe and whatever they want to believe, but when you express a belief that's founded on truth, truth will set people free. If people want to worship a frog or a toad or a log or a tree or a whale or a, a baby seal or whatever they want to do, they have the freedom to choose to do that. And thank God we live in a country that allows them the freedom to do that. And we have the same freedoms to worship the Lord our God. And that's okay by me. Because the truth will set people free. But we have to get to the point again where we rejoice in the Lord. Always. Stop being so critical. Stop being so negative. Stop worrying, worrying, worrying about all the things that may happen in life. But start rejoicing and praising God for the blessings that he's given you at this very moment, this very day. Man, it'll change the whole way you look at life. Rejoice in the Lord always. It's important that we see that. You know, it's amazing to me as we look at all this because, you know, not many of us are rejoicing. We need to, be, we need to hang around people. Here's another practical thing. Hang around people who are positive in their mental outlook. Hang around people that are positive. Hang around people that are encouraging. If you can't listen to the news or read the newspaper without getting critical and negative and, and, and down in the dumps, then just don't even, don't even subscribe to the newspaper. Throw it away. Don't turn the news on. I mean, some of us are so prone to be negative, you don't need any encouragement. You need to hang around somebody that gets you sick with their optimism and their positive outlook on life. Have you ever been with a friend who was down and negative and worrying about all these things that could go on in life and, and within an hour or half an hour of being with you, they're walking out cheerful and they're glad that they spent time with you? Or they, after they meet with you, they want to go hang themselves. <laughs> I thought it was bad, but now I didn't know how bad it could be. Spending time with you is the worst thing that I could ever done. We need to be people that people want to be around so they get lifted up, not torn down. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'm going to say it until I'm blue in the face and I can't say it anymore. Rejoice. Start praising God a little more for everything that's going on. And the second thing he says is this. Hey, you know what? Why don't you relax too? Let your forbearing spirit be made known to men. Let your gentleness be made known to men. Let your, uh, your easygoing nature be made known to men. I like all that. It's like, you ever get uptight and your kids, when our kids were smaller, they had this thing that people used to say, and I don't know if they still say it or not, but they, they, were, they would come off of this without, if I got a little uptight, I'd say, hey, Dad, take a chill pill, Dad. Take a chill pill, Dad. I'll give you, you know what? There's nothing that'll aggravate people more that are uptight and irritable than telling them to take a chill pill. Now, so I'm thinking this, as I'm going through, I'm saying, okay, here's what God's saying. Chuck, relax a little bit. Now, I'm going to tell you the same thing. Hey, you need to relax a little bit. Now, I know if you're uptight and worrying about a million things, telling you to relax is just one more thing that you're going to get worried about and uptight about because I'm telling you to do something you don't think you can do. Say, relax. Don't worry about it. Oh, yeah, it's easy for you to say. Man, relax a little bit. See, let your easygoing nature be made known to men. Why? Because the Lord is near. I don't know how big this thing is that you're struggling with. But you know what? Don't you think it's going to pale in comparison if Jesus came back at this very moment? What he's saying is that there's a big picture here. And don't forget, this is on the heels of the argument that these two women had at this church where they were in contention with one another. And what he's saying was, you know what? You need to rejoice and praise the Lord, and you need to relax a little bit. These big issues you think you're struggling with in life are paling in comparison to the fact that Jesus could come back at any moment. Now, I don't know how big this deal is that you're struggling with, but don't you think if Jesus came back right now, that, that'd be the last thing you'd be worrying about, whatever it is you're worrying about? See, you want to worry about something. Worry about whether or not you're ready when he comes back. And that's a matter of putting your faith and trust in him. And that's a matter of living a life that's obedient and pleasing to him. Then you don't even have to worry about that either, now do you? But he's saying relax. I get a letter from a guy <clears throat> who was a little bit agitated by my particular style of delivery. And he wrote a letter, and, and in the letter, he explained to me, and, and this is a quote, so I don't want to misquote him, but he was just explaining to me how he didn't think it was appropriate that, that a Bible study would be the place for, quote, jokes or attempts at jokes. <laughs> I kind of like that. That was pretty funny, actually. <clears throat> So I called him, and I apologized if, if he was offended by something that I had said or if his family was or whatever the story was, and I'm not real sure exactly what it all was. 
And so we had a conversation. This guy was wound tight, man. I mean, he was wound pretty tight. And so we had this, you know, we had as cordial a conversation as we could have. And, and you know, and at the end of all, I said, can I ask you a question? You've been pretty candid with me. Can I be a little candid with you? I don't really know you. All I know you by is the letter that you sent me in this, short, this you know, brief conversation that we've had on the phone. But do you think it's possible that uh, you need to lighten up just a little bit? <laughs> he didn't think he needed to lighten up. And I didn't think I needed to change either. So we kind of have a stalemate. I'm sure he never came back. But the point of all of it was is that, you know, that kind of stuff could drive you nuts if you worried about what everybody thought. But you do your best to try to resolve it, and you leave it at that, and you realize that, you know what, there are people that you're going to meet that really just need to relax a little bit. They just need to relax. And the third thing that they need to do is rest. And I say, okay, well, where do you get that? Look at them, uh, six and seven. Be anxious for nothing. Hey, and memorize this. You want to do yourself a huge favor in life? Memorize this. Be anxious for nothing. But what? But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The Living Bible says, you know what it'll do? It'll cause you to rest in God's presence. It'll cause you to rest in God's assurance that he cares more about you than you could ever imagine in your life. What he's saying is rejoice, relax, and rest. Rest in God's presence. Rest in God's direction. Rest in God's assurance that he loves you. I like what one lady said to me. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. How many of you worry about whether or not you're praying too much or asking God for too much? You know, it's kind of like, you know, you, you, dri you drive yourself crazy because you're asking God, but you don't want to ask him everything that's going on because you think that he's only going to give you so many things and there's only so many things you could ask him and that he's getting tired of hearing from you. I mean, have you ever struggled with that? It's kind of like, I want to just say, I'm just waiting for the really big stuff. You know, my toe hurts, I'd pray about it, but I'm not going to pray for that because I'm waiting for something major maybe that could happen. You know, maybe big old receivable that's due or, you know, a big project we're working on. I'm saving this prayer for something big. You ever, you ever wrestle with stuff like that? Now, here's what slapped me into reality. I heard a guy say one of them, he said, Chuck, you're worried about praying to God for all the little things, uh, you know, that like somehow or another that's going to bother him? I said, yeah. He goes, hey, let me ask you something. Can you name one big thing to God? Think about this now. Can you name one big thing that's weighing you down that God can't handle? What's this huge thing you're worrying about? How big is that to God? I guess it depends on your view of God. But the way I look at it is, God created the universe. God holds it together every day so that we don't fly off into orbit somewhere. God made you and me. God made everything. God created it all. God holds it all together. And I think that's a pretty powerful God. Now I'm struggling with something that's going on in business and I'm holding it back because I don't want to bother him with that one because, well, maybe I better save a bigger one for him. What is big to God? The way I see it is everything's a little puny to God. So why hold back? Might as well share it all with him. Your toe hurts? Hey, don't worry about it. Pray about it. Trouble in business? Don't worry about it. Pray about it. Trouble in your marriage? Don't worry about it. Pray about it. Trouble with your kids? Stop worrying about it. Pray about it. What are you worrying about? Stop it. Pray about it. That's the whole gist of the message that he's trying to get across. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. And rejoice always. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. And relax. It's okay. God's in control. It's going to be all right. Worry about nothing and pray about everything and rest in his presence. Because not, God knows what's best for us. We went to the Garth Brooks concert. Garth Brooks had a song. <clears throat> the message is good. Theologically, it's not that correct. But he's got this song, and it's called, God's Greatest Gift is Unanswered Prayer. The gist of the story is that he met a lady that he thought that he loved and wanted to one day marry. 
as it turned out that that door closed, that relationship never developed. But because that relationship never developed, he ended up meeting his wife, whom he and went, obviously if it's his wife, they married. And, and now they have three children. And the whole gist of the song was, I'm so grateful that God didn't answer my prayer of allowing me to generate a relationship or develop a relationship with the other woman because, because he didn't do that, then he allowed me to j develop this relationship over here. Well, the point of the matter is, is that God answers prayer. He answers all prayer because there's nothing big or little to God. God answers prayer. But what I like about what he was saying was is that, you know what, sometimes in hindsight, what we pray for isn't what's always best for us, nor is it God's will for us in our life. But as we look back on it, we're grateful and thank God that he didn't give us what we asked for at the time that we asked for it. And I like what he had to say, because that is true. God answers prayer. God never gets tired of hearing us come to him. God says, hey, bring it to me. And you know what he says will happen? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know what the world should see when they see our lives? They should see people who are living a joyful life, who've got a smile on their face, even when the things that we're going through to them look like things that they could never endure in a million years, nor go through and ever have any type of joy. And you can say, how in the world can you smile through this? How in the world aren't you staying up late at night through all this? How in the world aren't you just desperate and trying to manipulate and do whatever you can to try to recover from this situation? And you can sit and say, you know why? Because God has given me a peace about it because I'm not worrying about it. I'm praying about it. I'm not worrying about anything, but I'm praying about everything. And because of that, God has miraculously, supernaturally given me a peace in my life in a circumstance and situation that would drive anybody that doesn't pray crazy. Man, I like that. It's a military term. It means God's going to, to put a, 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 a encircle and an encampment around you. It says, in the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. You say, how in the world can you have joy in the midst of all that? And there's your answer. I don't know. I don't understand it. And you know what? And that's biblical and that's true. I don't know, I don't understand it, because it's the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. And it guards my heart. It means that God puts a, a fence around your heart and your emotions, and he guards us from the attacks of people who want us to begin to worry about it again, who want us to begin to pick it up off the prayer list and put it back on the worry list, who want us to pick it up off the prayer list and put it back on the to-do list. And you know what? It drives people crazy that are to-doers. Let's do something! I am. I'm praying about it. That's not enough. And that's why you are going nuts and I am not. I had a call this week from a guy we're doing a project and it's like seven days a week, 16 hours a day, and the guy calls every five minutes and he drives me nuts. He drives me nuts. And he's going to blow. I'm telling you, it's a good thing it's a medical center because he's going to be the first patient when this place is done. <laughs> he's ready to blow, man. This guy's going crazy. And every five minutes we have the same conversation. And finally I said, look, would you please relax, get out of our way so we can finish what we're doing because we're taking more time telling you what we're going to do than actually having time to do what we're going to do. So please, would you please relax? It's not good for your health and it isn't good for mine either. You're driving us all nuts. And that's what people who worry a lot do. Rejoice, relax, and rest. Okay, now here's an exercise and we'll close on this. Three things to apply. Number one. <clears throat> feed your mind with positive thoughts. You ready? Feed your mind with positive thoughts. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Stop thinking negative and start thinking positive. Dwell on these things. Feed your mind with positive thoughts. Allow people around you to feed your mind with positive thoughts. It's going to be okay. God's in control. God's got a purpose. God's got a plan. Here's what we can do. If there's stuff to do, do it. If there's nothing you can do, don't and trust God and pray about it. But feed your mind with positive thoughts. Dwell on these things. I don't know how many times in the course of a day and in a week that I have to remind myself of this truth. As soon as a negative thought comes to my mind about a person, a place, a thing, or something I'm going through, it's just if I've got to say, Chuck, you know what? That's not a positive thought. Dwell on these things. And the best positive thought is, you know what? Just go back to rejoicing and praising God. 
God, you never let me down. You haven't brought us out in the wilderness to let us die. You brought us from where you brought us, and you're taking us to where you want to take us. And man, I'll tell you what, immediately your whole attitude changes. The second thing is this. Look what he says in verse 9. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. We need good, positive role models is what that means. Look to people who are positive and encouraging in life. Look to people who have a smile on their face and ask them, hey, how do you do this? You know what? And you know, it, always, it doesn't always have to be some hero, somebody that's in the newspaper, some celebrity. It may be your mom. It may be your dad. It may be an uncle, a brother, a cousin, a sister. It may be somebody who you look at and they go through struggles in life and they go through it with joy and a positive attitude because they know that God is in control. Those are the heroes in life. I met a couple of heroes not too long ago. I'm out for a run at 6.30 in the morning, and I'm running up the street, and there's a big hill, and I'm puffing and huffing and going and thinking about praising God. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm going up the hill, and I hear a voice coming out of the weeds. I hear the Spanish tune being sung. I can't find the Spaniard singing it. But as I go a little further, I realize that there's a guy who's weeding this, the, the, uh, the hillside, the slope, and there's weeds. He's neck deep in weeds at 6.30 in the morning. It's already 80 degrees, and he is just singing in Spanish. I don't know what he's singing, but I think he was singing, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. I don't know if that's true or not, but i got to believe that that's what he was doing. And I'm running there, and I'm thinking, man, you know what? This guy is knee-deep in weeds at 6.30 in the morning. He's probably, if he's lucky, making minimum wage. Somebody's probably paying him cash. And this guy is singing and grateful that he's alive and he's working. I thought, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. I met another hero running up another hill. And I hear this guy singing behind me. Now, I don't, you don't meet too many people singing while they're running. <laughs> you know, I used to wear a Walkman and, and, and kind of sing and run and stuff, and then people give you these crazy looks, and then once I tripped over a sidewalk and went flying, and I realized that's probably not the smartest thing to do, and then you can't hear cars beeping at you or people swearing at you when you step out in front of them, which isn't all that bad either. But then again, the point of the matter is I'm running up a hill, and I hear another guy singing. And I turn around, and here comes a guy on a grade of a hill that's going like this, and he's singing. And he's in a wheelchair. And he's just motoring up this hill. Boom, boom, boom. He's got a Walkman on, and he's singing all the way up there. And he gets up next to me. And right about now, I'm feeling sorry for myself. Because <laughs> he's ready to pass me. So, <laughs> so the kind of guy that I am, you know, I say, hey, can you give me a ride? <laughs> and he starts laughing. But the point of all of it was that here's a guy who could be sitting home feeling sorry for himself because he lost a leg or he's paralyzed in some accident. But he's out there and he's living life. And he's enjoying it. And he's not letting his circumstances dictate to him his inner attitude of joy. This guy personified everything that I've been trying to get across to you. There's joy in living. And how much more joy, I guess, is the question should we have when we know the God of peace. It says, And the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. Man, that's some powerful stuff. Started with a story. Let me close with a story. True story about a, a lady whose husband, after 40 years, suddenly drops dead. So for a month or so, she has the shades drawn and the curtains are closed and she's feeling sorry for herself and she's realizing it's starting to eat her up and she can't live like this anymore and the loneliness is just about killing her. So she decides she's going to go to a pet store where her and her husband used to go and look at pets all the time. So she goes into the pet store and she starts looking at pets. She's looking at everything that they have. She's looking at a puppy, now nah, too much work. She looks at a cat, now nah, she don't want a cat. She looks at, you know, uh, she even looks at snakes and frogs and amphibians of all sorts. And, and, and she can't find anything that she really wants. And so the shopkeeper comes over and says, well, what, what can I get for you? She says, well, I'd like a pet that would keep me company, that would make me feel like I've got some companionship that goes beyond, you know, just the ordinary pet. And he says, oh, come here, let me show you this. And he takes her over to this bird, it's a parrot, that he's got in this beautiful cage. And he says, this is what you need. A parrot is as close to a real companion as you'll ever get because a parrot's the only thing that could actually talk to you. She goes, great. He says, well, it's expensive, but I think you're going you're to like it. So she goes, great. And she buys this parrot with this elegant cage, and she takes this parrot home. 
and uh, she's waiting and days go by and this parrot doesn't say a word and she's getting worried because the parrot doesn't talk so she goes back to the pet store and, says, and he goes hey how's that parrot working out well actually the parrot hasn't said a word since I bought it I said really so well when you bought did you buy a mirror when you bought it he said no I don't, I don't have a mirror oh you need a mirror because as strange as it sounds that a parrot when it sees itself in the mirror thinks it has a companion and will begin to chirp and talk and really you know will be real relaxed so she buys the mirror she takes the mirror home puts it in the cage she sits back waiting for this thing to talk it doesn't say anything a week goes by and the bird still doesn't say anything. She goes back to the store. Hey, how's the parrot? Oh, the parrot's not working at all. I hadn't said a word. I said, well, did you buy it a ladder? I said, a ladder? Yeah, well, it needs some exercise. You know, if that thing climbs up and down on that ladder and looks at itself in the mirror, by the time it's done, it's going to be just so happy and so refreshed, it's going to start to talk. All right, she buys a ladder. She takes it back. She buys a ladder, puts the ladder in. Another 10 days go by and this bird doesn't say anything. He said, man, she goes back in and says, hey, how's the bird working out? She goes, the bird, the bird died. It didn't say anything at all up until the time that it died. He said, it didn't say anything? He said, well, yeah, when it was laying in the bottom of the cage, the only thing it said was very faint, like a berry here, it was, don't they have any food down at that store you keep going to? <laughs> You know what, uh, isn't that what worry's all about? Worry takes your mind off of the essential things in life. And it distracts you from enjoying life every day. Rejoice, relax, and rest. It doesn't get any easier than that. Worry about nothing and what? Pray about everything. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be together. Thank you for the truth of your word. And that your word will set us free from all the bondage and the addictions. God, we just thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, sets us free, first of all, from the bondage of sin. God, we just thank you that it's as simple as just trusting and believing in him that we become children of God to those who believe in his name. That we enter into a right relationship with you by simply trusting that what you did through Jesus Christ was all that we need to believe. And God, we just also pray that, you know, we would stop worrying and that we would start praying that we would worry about nothing and pray about everything, that we would rejoice in the Lord always. Again, you say to rejoice, that we would do that, that we would relax knowing that you're in control, that we would rest in your presence, that we would look around and find people that are role models to us, that have gone through all types of adversity in life and still have a smile on their face knowing that you're in control. God, help us to stop feeling sorry for ourselves and worrying about all the things that may happen in life knowing that statistically 92% of things that we worry about never come to fruition, and the 8% that do are never like we think they're going to be anyway. God, what a tremendous waste of time, energy, and effort. Help us to focus on you and on your truth, and help us to be people that as people see us in life, they realize that the God of peace dwells in us. And we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.